promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You whose glory is chanted above the heavens out of the mouths of infants and children, You have set up a fortress against your enemies to silence the foe and avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have set in their courses, what are mere mortals that you should be mindful of them? Human beings that you should care for them? Yet you have made them little less than divine. With glory and honor you crown them. You have made them rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet. All flocks and cattle, even the wild beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. From Ezekiel 20, beginning at the first verse. In the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Is it to inquire of me that you come? As I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them, Son of man, will you judge them? Let them know the abominations of their fathers and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, On the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. And I said to them, cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on, every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt, but I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them statutes and made known to them my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live and my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a full end of them, but I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. 
Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land that I had given them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands, because they rejected my rules and did not walk in my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths, for their hearts went after their idols. Nevertheless, my eye spared them, and I did not destroy them or make a full end of them in the wilderness. And I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor keep their rules, nor defile them yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules and keep my Sabbaths holy, that they may be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to obey my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. They profaned my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the wilderness. But I withheld my hand and acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them through the countries, because they had not obeyed my rules, but had rejected my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were set on their father's idols. Moreover, I gave them statutes that were not good, and rules by which they could not have life. And I defiled them through their very gifts, and their offering up all their firstborn, that I might devastate them. I did it that they might know that I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, that's another giant section, right? Luckily, we're not doing the full uh, chapter. It's 49 verses. We only did 27 of them. But this, this comes right after that lamentation in chapter 19. And we're told, just like we were told back in chapter 8, we're, we're given a particular date in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord. The seventh year, what, what do we mean by that? Well, it's the seventh year of Jehoiakim's captivity. The seventh year of this, I, I, th- I believe it's the first exile of, of people to Babylon before Jerusalem is destroyed, before the temple is destroyed. And it says on the 10th day of the month, on that fifth month, and, and according to the commentators I read anyways, this is exactly this day that they're coming to see Ezekiel um, when the elders are, are coming to him. It's the 10th of Av, which is the exact date in which the temple is destroyed by Babylon. But it's four years previous. So basically, they've got four years and then the temple's destroyed. It's, that's interesting, right? I, I think that's interesting. Um, but but that whole beginning section is similar to, to the beginning of, of chapter 8. And then we're given this word three times, inquire. They came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. Thus says the Lord God, is it to inquire of me that you come as I live, declares the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Uh, is and there's this this question of well they're coming to ask, is it that they're coming to ask questions that they don't understand what's going on even though Ezekiel has been explaining it then that could be the reason why God's sitting here going why do you keep doing this you're not listening to me I've already talked to you once and you are not hearing me have you ever been in a situation like that where you explain something to somebody and they don't get it 
So you, you, you turn it around and you explain it again and they don't get it. And, and then you start to get frustrated, right? Because you're trying to explain this thing. You're trying to explain maybe a project you're trying to get done or something you're supposed to be doing. And they just don't get it. Either one, they have a hard time understanding certain things or two, you are not speaking in a way that they can understand one or the other. It's a issue of, of communication. And you have this issue here with the elders of, of possibly their ears are closed. Their eyes are closed. Their ears are closed. Just as Isaiah uh, prophesies that, that they can't hear the word of the Lord. They can't see what it is that God is doing. They don't want to see, they don't want to know. Right. And but then there's also this other side of it that, that one of the, the rabbis talks about that it's not this issue of coming and questioning. It's actually an issue of begging, begging for mercy, begging for all the things that have been talked about from chapter 1 through 19, begging that God would change his mind. And so God sits here and says, why should I do that? Why, why should I do any of that? And actually in verse four, he says, will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? And the, the word is actually a, a uh, word more for, will you advocate for them? Are you going to take their side and you're going to come to me and ask me to be merciful to them? Is this what we've, what we've come to? And so then uh, the Lord retells the story and sits here and says, why are you coming and begging me to help them? Why do they come to me asking for mercy and, and, um, and, and not judgment on them, not exile, not destruction? Let, let me tell you a story. And so then he tells the story. On the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. We're, we're thinking of Moses and Aaron coming and their preaching and their, ta- their teaching and their, the plagues are, are starting to take place. And all. I swore to them saying, I am the Lord, your God. That's one of the biggest promises that God gives to you, that you have a God. That is the promise of God. You don't have any other gods. You're going to try and find other gods. That that is what we do all the time. And that's the problem that Israel runs into here in all the stories that God God speaks of here. Uh, They they try and find other gods. They don't want the Lord. They don't want Yahweh as God because if Yahweh is God, that means he is the, the greatest of all gods, right? He's the creator. He's the maker of time. He's the maker of the universe. He's the maker of life. And, and that's one of the biggest promises that comes from God is that you have a God, whether you like it or not. You notice that there because he says, when I chose Israel, that there wasn't anything that Israel did to deserve to have Yahweh as their God. He chose them and said, I'm your God. You are mine. I am yours. I, I repeat this so often in sermons. I repeat it so often in my teaching that you are God's and God is yours. That's the, the biggest hurdle that we have to get over. It's the reason why the fall happened in Genesis 3. We wanted to be God or we wanted some other God. We didn't want the God that creates and we wanted to be creator. And so we, we go after these things. And so when God comes to us and says, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, your God, it's actually a blessing. It keeps us from pursuing after our own deification, that that we are able to then rest in knowing that 
we are not God and he is God. And I want you to hold on to that statement for that, that we're able to rest from trying to be God because that's going to actually be a, a perfect uh, uh, landing point for us here in these, these tellings of, of the story. And so he says, on that day, I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into the land of of milk and honey, right? I'm going to bring you out to the promised land. Just now, please cast away all your idols, cast away the, the gods that you've been worshiping in Egypt because they're nothing. I am the Lord, your God. Now I am the Lord, your God. And then he says in verse eight here in chapter 20 of Ezekiel, but they rebelled. They didn't want that. They were not willing to listen to me, which is no wonder after what, what is it? 400 years, right? I, I believe it's 400 years between Joseph and Moses. That's a long time to be living in a foreign land and you develop other gods. You, you start to go along with what is happening around you. You know, you, you may be, if, if you're first generation, you hold on to your traditions for a while, but then your kids start to discover other ones and then their kids even more. And then after a couple of generations, uh, the, the, that next generation or so down the line starts to want to rediscover who they used to be, but then it all starts over again. It's the cycle that, that we cling to the culture that we are going to cling to. And so they don't forsake their idols. And this is interesting because this is not spoken of really in, in the Torah in the, in the Pentateuch, the first five books, the books of Moses, because he says he's was getting ready to destroy them in the land of Egypt before the Exodus even happened. But then he says in verse nine, and he, he says this multiple times, times in verse nine, in verse 14, uh, in, in uh, verse 22, he says, but I acted for the sake of my name. What is that name? Well, we, we discover it later on in Exodus, right? You probably know the story. Moses wants to see the, the Lord's glory. The Lord says, okay, I'm going to find a little crack in the rock and I'm going to shove you in there. So you're not going to be able to see much. You're just going to be able to see my backside, but I will, I will uh, walk by you and I will declare my name. And what is the name he declares? The Lord, the Lord, merciful and full of steadfast love. That the, that's the defining mark of him, that he is the God of loving kindness and mercy. And so he says, I'm going to act for the sake of my name in part because he's a God of mercy, but also in part because he has said, I am the Lord, your God. That's the definition of his name, uh, of, of God being yours, that he's attached himself to you, that he's a choosing God. And so uh, if he's chosen you and he decides to destroy you, that's ma- that means he made the wrong choice. And God can't do that. <laughs> God, God is one who you, he does all things well. And so he acts for the sake of his name and he still brings them out anyways. It would have denied him his identity of who he is if he didn't do that. And it says so that he gives them statutes, right? Mount Sinai, 10 commandments, all those things, gives them statutes and laws. And if you do them, you shall live by them, which that would be great if we could do those things. But what do we discover? They can't do them because we're told about that here. And, and that I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them or I am the Lord who sets them apart. Remember, I said to hold on to that notion of rest. The Sabbath 
comes to us. This, this notion of rest comes to us to remove us out of the space in which we think we need to be God. It's to remove from us any sort of pursuit that we have to be in charge so that when we are at rest, we are resting in the knowledge that God has got our back, that God is with us. I know that we have some, at least one listener, if not two in Scotland now, and there's a history in Scotland of taking the Sabbath very, very seriously. Am I right? That, that, stores are closed. All those things are, are shut up uh, on Sundays. And it is, a, it is a day to be in church and to spend time together with families and friends, eating together, talking about godly things, about books uh, that have to do with God, about the sermon, about reading the Bible together, those sorts of things. That's the, that's the old anachronistic tradition, right? Nowadays, I'm sure it's not that way anymore. Because just like everywhere else, things change. But this notion of the Sabbath to be a gift to us, for us to realize that we are not God, that number one, we are weak and we need rest. We are going to be tired. But number two, to rest from the necessity of trying to do everything we can to be God. And that's a great gift. And it says that he gives them those Sabbaths so that they might know that he's the God who sets them apart, who sanctifies them, who who does all the work for them, that the righteousness that we think that gives us uh, life, it doesn't exist, that it is that we have to cling to God and his work for us. And that comes especially through things like the Sabbath. But it says that they rebelled against him in the wilderness. We know that story, right? They, they, they rebel against him in the wilderness uh, and, and they didn't follow his rules. We see that multiple times. You know, the fact that Israel pisses off God, it's, it's a normal routine in the Old Testament. And so he's like, well, I, I should destroy them. But then he says, no, because I'm going to act for the sake of my name in verse 14. Uh, and, and then he, he, takes away from them the opportunity to go into the promised land. We see that in Numbers, the book of Numbers, where he sends them out to to scope out the pro- promised land, to spy it out there, and 10 were bad and two were good who, who come back. The 10 said, no, it's too dangerous. Caleb and, and, and Joshua said, no, we can do this because God is with us. And so he doesn't allow them to enter into the promised land except for Caleb and Joshua. Everyone else is going to die. Uh, but he says, though, nevertheless, my eye spared them, meaning he wasn't going to wipe out Israel completely. They were still going to be his chosen people. He was still going to hold on to his promise of, of, of the land, the good land. And, and so he says, I, I, I said to their children in the wilderness, do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor keep their rules, nor defile yourselves with their idols. Verse 19, I am the Lord, your God. That is another thing that we have to cling to church is that God is not the God of your parents or your grandparents. He is yours. It's, it's a term that I use quite often, your Jesus. And Pastor Chris, my senior pastor, started to borrow it a little bit. But the notion of Jesus being yours, not just grandma and grandpa's or mom and dad's, but yours personally. 
your own personal Jesus. I can't remember who the band was that sings that song. Uh, um, but uh, that this God is yours, yours personally. The pronoun has been attached to it for you. That's something that Luther gives us, that Jesus is for you, that God is for you, that here he's speaking to the children of the people who disobeyed God and were not allowed to go into the promised land. I am still your God. I wasn't just the God of your parents. I have not denied you. I've not walked away from you. I am still yours. Cling to that church that he is yours, that he is yours. And he says in verse 20, keep my Sabbaths holy that they may be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord, your God, clinging to, to those Sabbaths again, like I said, and knowing that he is God and you are not, but they don't do it, right? Yeah, they don't do it. And so he's like, well, I was going to, I was getting ready to spend my wrath upon them, but I withheld my hand and I acted for the sake of my name. Verse 22. So that not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I brought them out. But then he swears to them, even though I'm going to bring you into the promised land, you are going to go into exile because you are a stiff necked people. <laughs> He doesn't say that here, but it's because you continually do the same thing. You are going to go into exile. And what's going to come out of that exile? A couple of really bad things. One, verse 25, I gave them statutes that were not good and rules by which they could not have life. Uh, some people say that it was uh, God there allowing uh, the uber-religious among the people to create man-made rules. It's one of the things that Jesus comes and fights against with the Pharisees, these man-made rules that they think they need to cling to in order to buy off God. That, that, I think that's a good sense of that notion. The idea that God allows our hearts to run, run the gamut of what it is that we think we need to do for God to love us, even though God has already declared it, I am the Lord your God. But then also it's this sense of being sent into exile to foreign lands and having to obey their rules, their laws that do not give life, that are not connected to this God of rescue, this God of Sabbath, this God of rest. And then even worse upon that, he took away his hedge of protection, if you want to talk about it that way. And they started taking their firstborn, which belonged to him. The law says, the, the Torah says that the firstborn of uh of man and beast belong to God because the, the firstborn in Egypt were killed by the angel of death, except for the Israelites who painted the doorposts. You know, the whole Passover story, right? Painted the doorposts with the blood of the lamb. And here they defiled themselves even more to, to dedicate themselves to a deity who demanded of them the price of their children. And so they burn their children in the fire to Mordok or whatever his name is. And it's disgusting. But it's there that God says, no, you're going to go into exile and you're going to start doing these things. You're going to get sucked into this culture that does not give life or rest. And it's this warning to us, but it's this warning to them at the time saying, why are you coming to inquire of me? I keep telling you of this and you're not going to listen to me anyways. Let me tell you about your history, the history of all your sin, both generational and in you now. And here he tells it and he shows it. You have this pattern. It's not like you did it once. You did it multiple times. You didn't listen to me before. You're not going to listen to me now. 
And so it is that God is laying it before them to say that you are where you are because of all these things. Why don't you listen to me? Why don't you cling to me as your God? Church, the same warning goes to us. We are those same sinners. We do not trust. We do not cling to him for all things. We do not try and be his. Instead, we cling to all sorts of other stuff. And here God is saying, no, I am your God. Those other things are not your God. I belong to you. You belong to me. Church, that is the promise for you to cling to today. You have a God who loves you, who cares about you, who handed a day a week to be a day of rest for you, to attend church and to read the word and to enjoy time together as a family and to step away from all the things you think you need to do to make yourself worth it. And instead, he says, cling to me. I beg that that would be what will happen for you this week, church. This next week, we're going to be finishing up this chapter 20, and it's going to be going into what God is going to be doing for them, even in the midst of the, of the burning of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. But I pray, I pray that God would be your God, that this Yahweh God who comes to rescue and give rest will continue to be yours and you will be his Rest in that church today. Let us pray. O God, on this day you opened up the hearts of your faithful people by sending into us your Holy Spirit. Direct us by the light of that Spirit that we may have a right judgment in all things and rejoice at all times in your peace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, church, continue to share this with those that that you come across. Uh, Give us some reviews because it increases the the chance of people finding us wherever uh, they are listening to podcasts. Uh, Five stars would be great, but whatever. We, We don't get paid for this at all. Everything that you have here is free. We just pray that that it would be a blessing to you and blessing to whoever hears it. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.